It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Fast Talk. Street Talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk. Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On DAB+. On the app. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is now Tuesday. Uh, I say this because some people get very confused about the days of the week, particularly when we're in the midst of such great change. Uh, we now have uh, what can only be described as a hiatus period uh, with one Prime Minister going in, another Prime Minister coming out. Uh, I'm not quite sure of the order of that, but it's all going on in Balmoral up in Scotland near Ballater, uh, a beautiful part of the world, a bit of the Cairn Gorms over there near Aberdeen. Uh, Boris Johnson left Downing Street this morning after making a speech at 7.30am pretty early actually uh, he was roundly applauded by all the people inside of Downing Street uh, he makes his merry way off into the rest of his life I am not one of those who thinks uh, he's going to be disloyal uh, I'm not one of those who thinks he's even going to continue to remain in politics and perhaps even try and have another go at leading the Tory party I think he will feel a huge sigh of relief after having suddenly got away from the spotlight having been able to now uh, actually sleep at night and get up in the morning without having to worry about having meeting after meeting after meeting I mean it's a tough old job being Prime Minister of this country but the point is this uh, he's made his speech he said cheerio let's move on you can thank Boris or you can hate Boris or you can wonder whether Boris was a good idea the point is Boris is no more and it's time to move on to the next thing which is of course Liz Truss Liz Truss uh, is a bit of an unknown factor nobody t- particularly sure what sort of Prime Minister she's going to be uh, she will be Prime Minister this afternoon she will also then appoint her cabinet this evening she will then go into the Houses of Parliament tomorrow uh, and she will take on Sir Keir Starmer who I'm sure won't be any more interesting than he was the last time we saw him but nevertheless we will talk about this and much more besides this morning we will find out what Liz Truss is made of we will find out a bit about what she plans to do we're told she's going to freeze energy prices we're told she's going to put some kind of cap on it uh, we're also told that she's going to attack all of the things that need fixing in this country it is a brand new beginning we've got to give her a chance I said it's a bit like Meghan Markle isn't it when she first came into the royal family everybody was happy about it until she started messing it up. We're going to try not to mention her. Claire Fox is here, uh, the Baroness, of course. Uh, she's the Baroness of Common Sense, I think I should call her from now on. Uh, we're going to talk about her reaction to what happened yesterday, uh, her reaction to what happens next, and, of course, we'll be taking your calls as well. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Lots to do, lots to talk about. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Let's get on with it.
And as I said, whether you like Boris Johnson, whether you loathe Boris Johnson, and that, of course, includes everybody at the BBC, um, let's have a look at what farewell he got from inside Downing Street this very morning. Now, for all of his detractors, you'd have to say he seems like a pretty popular guy at his place of work. Now, that can't be a bad thing, uh, no matter who you are. Let's see what he said for himself outside. I'm now like one of those booster rockets that has fulfilled its function, and I will now be gently re-entering the atmosphere and splashing down invisibly in some remote and obscure corner of the Pacific. And like Cincinnatus, I am returning to my plow. Boris Johnson. Uh, and that and that was it. Uh, that's all she wrote. That's all, folks, whatever you want to say. Claire, I mean, a remarkable prime minister, really. Um, no matter whether you liked him or hated him, they'll never see the, his like again, will they? Well, I think he played a very important role for a very brief moment. And I've been on this programme before and talked about how he squandered that huge majority. But whether he can take credit for it or not is neither here nor there. He broke millions of people away from voting for the Labour Party for the first time in generations. Mm. He had this enormous uh, boost of support from most unlikely candidates all over the country, and that was largely because of the dynamism associated with Brexit, which yeah. he gave life to again. He did. And I think that people had a great deal of hope that he would embody the kind of popular, the best of a popular mm. spirit, if you want. Sadly, that didn't happen. But I think that you can't underestimate what that meant for mm. British politics. Oh, I think he per personally put it in uh, perspective for everybody. And he was a kind of a visionary at one point or other. You might say he's not leaving as a visionary. But back in sort of January of uh, 2021, um, 2021, I should say, um, it was a very feel good time, wasn't it? People exactly. before COVID suddenly landed on everybody's desk. Um you know, we were all looking forward to what's going to happen next. There's going to be free trade. There's going to be, you know, lots of exciting businesses starting up. There's going to be the benefits of Brexit and yeah. all that. And it's it's not really fair to say it didn't work because it never really got the chance to work, did it? No, I mean, certainly rhetorically he talked the talk that a lot of people, that the voters wanted, right? And, and, I, and I don't mean it was disingenuous. And we can all say COVID came along, but then the way that he handled that crisis, of course is of major dispute, you mm. know, because one way or another, it doesn't matter whether at the end he got us out of lockdown earlier than other prime ministers around or, you know, mm. leaders around the world, he had us in lockdown. Yeah. And he went along with that whole um, complete suspension of civil liberties, closing down the economy, and there's a huge amount we're paying for mm. now in terms of the collateral damage of that, and not just in terms of the economy, but in terms of people's health. And, yes, and, and, all and I know people talk about Sweden, day. but to be fair, most of the world did exactly the same most thing. Most of the world did, but all I'm saying is he did too. Yeah. So that extraordinary bit of Boris Johnson where he stood out from the crowd stopped to be like that. Yes. That's all I'm saying is he went with the crowd, yeah. right? He was part of the group thing, mm. and he didn't look as though he's challenging it until, right until the end. Uh, the other thing is, is that as well documented on a number of the kind of more orthodox questions, he went along with them. And so, you know, a huge amount of time of at the latter part of the lockdown was spent in planning COP26. Mm. And I've made the point before that we're in the middle of an energy crisis. That is not just, despite what Boris Johnson says, created by the war in Ukraine. No. Right? 
fully support the way he said, you know, we'll stand down Putin and, and right. you know, we don't care. But we know that the energy crisis is more of a crisis mm. because we never had an energy no, policy. Exactly. And that energy, lack of energy policy, Boris has to take some responsibility mm. for. But look, we could all do this, couldn't we? I mean, you could go over Boris and say what he did wrong all the time. But yeah. I, I, I think that there's something... I read a great article by Brendan O'Neillsman and he, he, he makes the point that he lists the number of people who called Boris Johnson a fascist. Mm. And we should remember that there was a kind of deranged hostility mm. to Boris Johnson yes. because of what he represented Which in persists. terms of the voters' populist yeah. will for mm. him to do something different, do politics yeah. different. Well, and that persists, persists, yeah. And it persists to this day. I mean, it was on How I Got News for You at the weekend, you know, which I railed about yesterday. Um, a terribly biased and ghastly kind of um, personal attack on, on a politician, which would never be done on anybody else, uh, you know. And I don't care. People say to me, oh, we're a bit of a snowflake, Mike, getting offended. I'm not getting offended. What I'm saying is, is that the BBC will attack Boris Johnson willy-nilly, happily, every day of the week. But they would never do it to any other politician. But I think the problem with uh, the Boris derangement syndrome is not whether you're pro or, uh, or, or anti-Boris. It's that it represents the, de- the degeneration of political comment. Mm. I mean, that's what's so ironic yeah. about it. They say that he's dragged down politics. Mm. But actually, if you allow yourself to become so enraged by a politician mm. that you lose all sense of proportion, yeah. and all sense of common sense, yes. then actually... You're responsible, not you. Uh, the, the, the the broader yes. media and, and the commentators... That's all right, I'm not a narcissist. The, I assume, right, don't right. always assume you're talking about me. <laughs> Just in case. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so uh, so I think that I think it's it's true to say that one of the problems for those of us who wanted to have a bit more of a nuanced approach is that I wanted to be able to hold Boris Johnson to account for the problems that I thought he brought yeah. on the country. But because he was under such mad attack, I found myself having to defend yes, that bit of exactly. it. Then say, yes, but. Mm. And it became impossible to actually have a serious conversation. So I'm, you know, you would want that that won't happen yeah. with uh, uh, um, the new prime minister. But you know, the, the signs well, are already great signs, already. No, there's already signs that you know they had a th- call, they were calling a thick Lizzie. You know, they're having a go at her uh, because of the fact that she had done certain things in previous, uh, you know, incarnations, that she used to be a Remainer, uh, and now she's a Tory, she's the worst. Apparently her father, we're told, doesn't speak to her because he's so appalled that she's got right-wing views. I mean, what sort of father does that? You know, you talk to your children, if they've got different views Yeah, but to also, you, we don't even know if it's true, do well, we? Right. I mean, this is like, sort of like the worst kind of tittle-tattle gossip, really. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I, I sort of, I read, you know, I just read a tweet this morning from Rick Moore, a conservative councillor, uh, a conservative party member in in the Red Wall area, mm. and and he made the point, and I think it's really true. Is what kind of person is it that wants a government to fail before it starts? Because it doesn't matter whether you're yeah. a conservative or a low party member. Now we're facing some enormous yeah. challenges, and I want the grown-ups to re-enter the exactly. room. Exactly. And I'd like to say that I think now it's time for the grown-ups. I mean, in fact, I did say that this morning. Um, whether they are grown-ups or not remains to be seen. Yeah. But this is one of the reasons the Labour Party is having so many problems at the moment, because there are so many people you talk to. If you support Keir Starmer, you're getting attacked by the Corbynites. You know, if you were a Corbynite, you're getting attacked by the people who support Keir Starmer. You know, there's Tony Blair over here, there's Ed Miliband yeah. over there. You know, nobody knows which But if which the Labour Party had been elected, I hope that we would be growing up enough to say, look, he's got a massive democratic mandate I mean this is it yeah. and we now face these enormous challenges let's hope the mm. Labour Party rises to the challenge you wouldn't immediately go well I'm, you know this is what we shouldn't do yeah. uh, go for him right so what I'm saying is is that I want I mean I'm, I'm not optimistic but I want to believe that there's been a shake up 
You know, not just that Boris mm. Johnson has left, but that the world is on the brink of something. You know, you can feel the febrile atmosphere yes. in society. Fear, panic about bills, but also just a sort of, there's a war in Europe. You know, how are we going to get the kind of energy we need? Mm. What's going to happen? Yeah. And so we need to feel that we've got courageous leadership where they gather together the best people, based on merit, yeah. and that they will, in a non-sectarian way, work with Labour if possible, work with Lib Dems, whoever, mm. and get the country back going, yes. go on its feet I again. think that's the most important thing. But again, as, as you've said uh, quite rightly earlier, I mean, the energy crisis was looming long before Putin yeah. thought about invading Ukraine. And I had an MP on yesterday, a Tory MP, who basically said, oh, well, we'll just all have to tighten our belts. And I was like, well, why? You know, the reason we're in this place is because of you lot. Nothing to do with us. Why should I or anybody else, including the older and more vulnerable people in this country, have to switch off the heating in the winter because you guys didn't have a decent energy policy for 25 years? I also think that Boris Johnson, actually, one of the negative things he did in the last week or so was to actually link that you've got to tighten your belt scenario mm. and you've got to suffer and make uh, sacrifices to the war in Ukraine. Yeah. Yeah. Because if anything is going to put people off supporting mm. Ukrainian, the fight for Ukrainian sovereignty, yeah. which I'm 100% behind, mm. it's saying that the present problems we have are because of that yeah. war. They're only exacerbated by that war. Mm. And we can all tell that they're not even serious yet, it seems to me, about tackling the energy issue. I mean, no. for me, you just, you know, Boris Johnson did have a number of weeks in power. I mean, he really could have, you know, oh, yeah. started fracking the idea weeks we ago, are, yeah, right? Yeah, he didn't yeah. need to, I mean, all right, he didn't need to have to do anything too major. But the energy, there is the slowest trundling energy bill mm. going through the House of Lords at yeah. the moment. It's like sort of Lacks sense energy. of urgency, yeah. everybody. You put Come some energy on. into it, absolutely right. Uh, Claire Fox is here, Baroness Fox, of course, Director of the Academy of Ideas. We're going to talk about that energy bill and we're going to talk about what it is that Liz Truss says she's going to do and how soon she's going to do it. This is Talk TV. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. This is, of course, the home of common sense, the only place to be. If you were here yesterday, you would have seen uh, Boris Johnson uh, and the whole Liz Truss circus taking place and taking shape, really. Liz Truss uh, winning against Rishi Sunak. It was quite a bad-tempered race, it would seem to me. Let's talk a bit about that. Claire Fox is here. Um, They didn't shake hands, apparently, yesterday, Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss. When she walked into the room, Queen Elizabeth Hall, it was very clear that uh, she had won because she was kind of strutting and he was kind of walking behind. They had a space in between. There's no love lost, clearly, between the two of them. And people have said, well, one of the problems she's going to have is that there are people who will sit on the back benches now who have been removed or who have left. Pretty Patel being one, uh, Nadine Dorries being another. Uh, we'll find out later on who the members of the Cabinet are that she's supposedly going to be promoting. Uh, James Cleverly, by the sounds of it. Um, Quasi Quartang, probably. Um, but in terms of the way that she's going to operate the business of running the country, I think she's going to be very different to Boris, isn't she? Well, I think so. But uh, look, I, I don't know. It's hard to tell. Her majority wasn't as big as maybe no. her camp had speculated in matter? the book. He said, no, but I'm just saying people are noting it. It, mm. it does mean that maybe there's more, there's more Rishi supporters than she'd have wanted yeah. in her own party. But I think that, look, I don't blame them for not being best of friends the day of the announcement, right? right? They've just been at each other's throats for, for months. I think that now what needs to happen, and this is one of the things I noticed with... Um, Boris, you know, when he was saying his achievements, he just read out a list and he kept saying more police on our streets, mm. more nurses, more. And I was thinking, it's, it's not a bloody number. Yeah. yeah, and more hospitals. I was thinking, this is what makes people disillusioned with mm. politics, right? When the politicians don't realise, it doesn't matter whether you've got more police if the police don't know what the job of policing yeah. is. 
it's not a resources question in terms of the problems in the NHS. It's right. not just that there's not enough staff. Mm. It's that, that there's something gone wrong with the institution of healthcare yeah. in this country. And so if all that she does is emulate that, we're in trouble. Yes. Um, I think that if the cabinet that she appoints is simply rewarding friends, then again, you don't you don't feel that you know you don't feel as though it, that people are there on merit and certainly that's Boris did a fair bit mm. of that but uh, listen this bit we have to give her a go right some of the rumours of some of the cabinet appointments you think oh no don't do that to me yeah. um, uh, and but I, but as they're not confirmed and they're just Twitter rumours mm. I'm leaving it until after that until you know I mean this is the other thing though that, I mean if you were to believe the rewriting of history that some people have done including Rishi Sunak I don't know whether he's telling the truth or not but he would appear to be saying that he was very much against the lockdowns he was very much against all of these Covid restrictions that were brought in but then he didn't do anything about it and he just went along with it. And then we've had Grant Shapp saying the same thing. And it's like, so maybe they, there was more dissent in Boris's cabinet room than we thought. Maybe there was, but then they, they lacked the courage to speak mm. out about it. And I think that if you really felt that the country was being so jeopardised yeah. that, that you might have expected a couple of resignations at the time of somebody speaking out. And the fact that nobody did. Mm. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because at the moment, um, something I mentioned to you earlier, there's this sort of... Absolutely ludicrous and preposterous accusation that the reason Rishi Sunak didn't win is because of his ethnicity. That's crazy, and it is so ridiculous because um, you know talk about identity politics really becoming quite an unpleasant place mm. when you're likely to have a, a very ethnically diverse cabinet from all the rumours yeah. at least. Um, but also to remind to go back to what you were saying, we should remember that Rishi Sunak only a couple of years ago, was so popular. Mm. And I think one of the reasons why he might not have spoken out was because he became... It was like Rishi Mania, mm. wasn't there? It was. Because he was giving the furlough money out. I think it's possible that that popularity at the time, he opportunistically thought he could use yeah. to become leader. And that's what the reason he didn't yeah. speak about lockdown. Well, I'm sorry, but that to me is a coward, right? Yes. Because if, in fact, you really believe that the jeopardy of livelihoods and and the economy and so on was so on the line. You should have said something, yeah, Rishi. Absolutely right. But also, I mean, there's a lot of people who who believe their own publicity, believe their own hype, not just in politics, but in all sorts of businesses, including this one. You know, and they suddenly start thinking they can rule the world. Yeah, and you yeah. go, actually, no, you can't. Um, the funny thing as well about all of that is, I think that Boris absolutely took him down. The whole business with the non-dom status and the wife's tax problems. I believe that that was all leaked from right inside of Downing Street. And it and it, um, and it kiboshed his career. It might well have done. But the the interesting thing is that had nothing to do. His ethnicity again, no. did it? So all these people. I, I mean, the reason all. why people started going, "Hold on, I'm not sure about Rishi." Yeah, is because you can understand this. They're going, "Oh, we didn't really realise that you were kind of had a green card, or mm. you know, all this sort of you could be part of the yeah. globalised world that just wanders off after you've you've failed to get yes. the leadership." People start to be very cynical about that. And also, I, I was on talking to Michael Portillo on on. Um, uh, what is it, Times Radio, yes. yeah, um, the other night. And he was making the point, and I think it's really true, that that, that his lack of loyalty and stabbing Boris in the back, also people don't like no. that, right? They really do feel like, look, if you really believed he'd done something wrong, you should have gone earlier. Mm. But there's something about that kind of like waiting yeah. till the last minute, and also, I think he tried know? to oversell himself as well in a yeah. way that was kind of laughable. You yeah. know, we're bouncing onto the stage and kind of going, ha ha! Oh, yeah, that you didn't know, work. Sort of his Mr. Populism yeah. didn't quite just hit missed, the nail. He missed, missed, missed it by a long but, shot. Well, you know what's going to happen now, though? We're going to get Labour, because the Labour Party now keep getting asked the same question. Whenever I see any Labour politician in front of a journalist, they're asked, 
Well, so here's another Tory uh, Prime Minister who happens to be a woman. You haven't even managed to get a woman to lead your party. Why is that? When is that going to change? And what about the fact that all of these people who are either from ethnic minorities or women are in these great positions of state, if that's what ends up happening? And Labour don't really have, a, have an answer for any of that. Yeah, well, first of all, I, I, I always enjoy the Labour Party being uh, hoisted on their own petard by... Um, their sort of obsessive um, following of identitarian norms, you know, and saying, mm. what about this group, what about that group, this group, that group, and now they're kind of exposed on that. Yeah. And the, it is true that the Conservatives have done this without a kind of box-ticking yeah. attitude. They have. It is a merit question. It has just happened. However, I would call on us all to desist having to go at the Labour Party on this one because it means that we play the identity mm. politics game as well. So you could have a little jibe, yes. but then he got shut off. Because in a way, I don't care that there's no woman leading the Labour Party. And I don't care no, I don't, that Liz reason... Truss is a woman. No, no, we enjoy it. But all I'm saying is I don't want identity politics to mm. win. I, I want us to think these things are irrelevant. Yes. I want us to look out there and go, these people are there because they're important yeah. politicians, mm-hmm. right? It's the Labour Party who but deserve... That's my point. The yeah. reason that we like to make fun of the Labour Party is because they're the ones that they, pointed out. Agree. And they're the ones that say, well, you're the wrong kind of brown person. Therefore, oh, you're a Tory. Therefore, you're not really properly well, ethnic. I mean, pretty... I mean, I want to ask uh, the Labour Party if you've got any left-handers on the front page. <laughs> yeah, no, I... You might as well. You know, have you got anybody well, that's left-handed? Or have you got anybody with, you Patel know, is Pretty Patel is a politician who certainly brings out strong emotions, she's, and she looks like she's going to the well, she's going to the back bench now. Yeah. But do you see her letter of resignation? Yeah. I mean, I'm not quite sure whether she's been living on the same planet as everybody no, else. No, I know, I know. Again, it's one of those lists I formally <laughs> yeah. ticked the I did box all this of taking bit. control of. I didn't know no. that. But what I was going to say was the vile abuse she got. Mm. Was unbearable, yes. and the, and the and actually it was racist. Yeah, I mean, so one well, of the things that Guardian cartoon. I mean, incredible. A fat cow with a ring through the nose. nose. I mean, insulting her religion and her ethnicity at the same time. And the reason I'm referring to that is because I do think that there's a real problem if the identitarian left continue to treat people as call them coconuts and Uncle Toms and Mm. all the rest of it because of because they are actually the ones who end up being racist in these circumstances. And it's a despicable form of bitter racism. Mm. However, I'm simply saying that. We should also just be aware of ourselves of over celebrating. Oh, look, lots of well, black people on the cabinet. Yeah, I don't do that no, not you, but I can see that there are some people who want to say that. Oh, no, I just quite. think we've got to back off from absolutely. that. Absolutely. No, we absolutely do. Well, as you said, the Baroness of Common Sense strikes again. Um, we'll be back uh, with your calls. We're going to talk to uh, Tom Newton Dunn, uh, who was down on uh, Parliament College Green last uh, night, of course. Peter Cardwell is going to be here as well. Uh, we'll find out what he makes of it all this morning. Liz Truss will be the new Prime Minister within a few hours, I would guess. Uh, this is Talk TV. Claire, thank you very much indeed. Thanks, uh, we'll see you after the news. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, the home of common sense, the place where you will see everything as it happens, as it unfolds throughout the course of the day. As we did yesterday, we brought you the news that Liz Truss had been elected as the new party leader of the Conservatives. Today, uh, we brought you Boris Johnson's speech this morning, 7.30am on the steps of Downing Street. He came out hand in hand uh, with his wife Carrie uh, and then he left to um, what can only be described as a huge roar of approval, albeit from people that worked with him. But what I was saying to Claire Fox there is a man uh, who is painted quite often by the left as a ghastly, um, misogynistic kind of bully, uh, an amoral character with absolutely no saving graces whatsoever. Well, I'm sorry. Anyone who is like that will not be treated uh, as if he, uh, people are very sorry to see him go. Let's talk to Peter Cardwell, who was up very early this morning. He was down at Downing Street witnessing it all. Peter, a very good morning to you. 
Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Yeah, very well indeed. You're still looking very fresh and uh, authoritative uh, as you stand there uh, in front of the oh, new okay. Downing Street. It's all going to look very different under Liz Truss, we are told. Um, what did you make of the speech, first of all, before we do anything else? Well, there wasn't a lot of apology, there wasn't a lot of contrition there, but it was Boris. Uh, Boris is Boris. He did what he usually does. He was bombastic. There was a classical reference in there. There was uh, thought that he would uh, sort of go quietly, which we all know he's not going to do. Um, it was it was pure. It was clear. It was very Boris Johnson um, and uh, unapologetic, thinking he's been stabbed in the back. Many people would say that he has, and I think that that was the, the, the note he left on it struck me more as a campaigning speech than a farewell speech, necessarily, but who knows? knows that might have been a campaigning speech mm. for him because we don't know whether he is going to return to politics at some stage. Yes, I must say, when I listened to it, I was of the impression that we got the old Boris back because he hasn't really been like that for mm. a while and it's almost as though he's kind of relieved that he's going. But let's have a bit of a look at uh, some of the highlights of that speech this morning. The torch, the torch will finally be passed to a new Conservative leader. The baton will be handed over in what has unexpectedly turned out to be a relay race. They changed the rules halfway through, but never mind that now. I am now like one of those booster rockets that has fulfilled its function, and I will now be gently re-entering the atmosphere and splashing down invisibly in some remote and obscure corner of the Pacific. And like Cincinnatus, I am returning to my plough. If Putin thinks that he can succeed by blackmailing or bullying the British people, then he is utterly deluded. Uh, thank you, everybody who's helped look after me and my family over the last three years, including, including Dylan, the dog. And I just say to my party, if Dylan and Larry can put behind them their occasional difficulties, then so can the Conservative Party. But I say to my fellow Conservatives, it's time for politics to be over, folks. It's time for us all to get behind Liz Truss and her team and her programme and deliver for the people of this country. Very much a vote of confidence, Peter, for Liz Truss. But somehow, whatever he does, I don't think it's going to be in any obscure part of the Pacific. I suspect it will be in full view of the uh, entire nation. Um, but off he goes. And uh, it, is, it feels a bit like a new era, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it is. And actually, it's interesting. I was uh, just after I was speaking to Julia this morning and nipped out to get a coffee. And uh, you could see actually Liz Truss's convoy coming out of Admiralty House, which is just a few hundred yards up the road here. Her transition team are there at the moment, the advisors that will be around her. She's named some of them already. And she was about 40 minutes behind Boris Johnson as he jetted off to see the Queen. And he's obviously arrived there now. It's kind of quiet in Downing Street at the moment because we're not quite there, but we're sort of between two administrations mm. and very soon Liz Truss will be the Prime Minister and very soon she's going to be picking her cabinet later on today. We'll bring you all of that here on Talk TV of course and there's, you know, there's, it's a really busy day. There's a lot to do and she's going to have to very quickly make an impression, not least tomorrow at Prime Minister's Questions. I know we'll be covering that together, uh, Mike, when yeah. Keir Starmer asks her those questions for the first time as, uh, with her as Prime Minister. And so will we see what we normally see with cabinet reshuffles, uh, people walking up and down Downing Street going in and out the front door or is it going to be more discreet? How are they going to do it? 
Well, we expect to. It depends on a couple of things. It depends on the weather and it also depends on timing because there are communications on the Prime Ministerial plane. She can hypothetically sack people and appoint people. But reshuffles can take a bit of time because there's quite a lot of sacking people to do before you actually appoint people. But I think the attempt is going to be made to appoint all of the Cabinet this evening. We know some of the top rules. And even further down the uh, pecking order as well, the Health Secretary uh, could well be Therese Coffey, the well, well, uh, Work and Pension Secretary could well be Chloe Smith. Who's the number two in that department at the moment? Chief Whip, possibly, um, possibly a, a woman called. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, my name is name is escaping. <laughs> Wendy Morton. Wendy Morton. Oh, Apologies yeah. for that. Um, and uh, so a lot of that could all happen this evening, and then tomorrow there may well be a cabinet meeting first thing in the morning. So there's a lot to mm. happen in quite a short space of time. It's not going to be uh, it's not going to be sitting down and chillaxing for Liz Truss. No, quite. And the papers this morning seem to be pretty sure that there's going to be uh, a fair amount of activity early on in terms of policy straight to business on the times just puts her foot on the gas uh, on the sun looks like she's going to freeze energy prices and energy bills we don't know quite at what level yet how soon will we know what her policies are going to be Probably Thursday for the big one on energy. That's the main policy, and that's going to define her premiership. It could cost up to £130 billion over the next year and a half, and that's more than furlough. In fact, it's nearly twice as much as furlough cost. So this is going to be an administration that gives away a lot of money, and quite the contrast from how Liz Truss was saying just weeks ago that she didn't believe in handouts. And what's also going to be interesting is in a few months' time, when those energy companies' profits come out, are we as taxpayers borrowing money to subsidise those energy companies? Companies. That could be something that's very politically dangerous for Liz Truss, but her rescue plan, which will come from her and her new Chancellor, almost certainly going to be quasi-quartering the current Energy Secretary. He knows quite a lot about the gas markets and energy prices, of course, in his current role. That will come out quickly. Uh, th- that uh, support will be available to people very quickly, uh, especially before prices go up in October and then due to go up again in January. But if she can arrest that, if she can freeze those, as many other European countries have done as well, well then people will really really feel the benefit of that and their pocketbook. Interesting stuff. Peter, we'll be talking to you, I'm sure, throughout the day here uh, at Talk TV. Peter Cardwell, Talk Radio's political editor down at Downing Street. He was there when Boris Johnson uh, announced his departure this morning and in West Sussex, she didn't want him to go. Anne, a very good morning to you. Hello, Anne. Are you there? No, Anne's not there. Uh, we didn't want Anne to go either, but she's gone. Uh, never mind. Uh, we'll get her back. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand is the number. I think Anne is now back. Anne, are you there? Yes, I am. Hello. Are you there? Yes, you I am indeed. Hello. Now you didn't want Boris to go. No, I didn't. I didn't think. Um, I, I didn't start out a great Boris supporter. I, but I don't think he had a chance. Mm. I don't think anyone could have managed the country in the crisis that happened resulting in COVID. Mm. Of course, he listened to the experts, and many of us are very wary of the experts, but he tried to do what was best in a crisis that no one had experienced before. Mm. All right, if we'd been out in South Korea and countries like that, they'd had to deal with SARS. They were already up to speed. They were wearing masks. But we here in the Western countries, we hadn't. And I think he, he... did the best that he could and he had a lot of crisis to deal with along the way and I wanted him to have a chance now to put into action what he believed that has all changed yes we've now got this trust what do you think of her well can I be honest with you please I started out as a liberal and then we had 
the Social Democrats and the Lib Dems were formed. Mm. And after a while, I hung in for many years. I left and went independent and I joined the Conservatives. And I actually understand and identify with Liz Trust. She's now got a very huge job. I think she's got the social background, the background that I have, mm. about working out with the community what really matters for the whole country, not only for one section of the country. She's got less than two years to put a lot of it into action. And I hope that she will do it. She will have a team around her and she will ignore social media mm. because she will be under attack. But I think she now is strong enough to actually make it happen. Yes. And well, as a country, we need it. We need her to work. It, it really does need that, doesn't it? And thank you very much for your thoughts. Anne in Sussex, very good uh, call to start us off with this morning. She didn't really want to see Boris going. However, he now has gone. We move on. We move on to Liz Truss and the new era. But it has to work. It has to work. The country can't afford to let it fail. So how do we make that work? 0344 499 1000 is the number. Tom Newton Dunn coming up next on Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. I've got a joke here for the day from Donald MacLeod, our friend in Scotland. Uh, he says, Liz Trust being Prime Minister is like that time Apple made everyone have the U2 album they didn't want in their iTunes library. Um, I don't know if that's true, but I've got a man to ask that question to. Tom Newton Dunn is here from the news desk. Tom, welcome to the Independent Republic. Good morning, Mike. Pleasure very, to be in this independent It's country. very nice to see you. What do you make of that uh, analogy there? You're getting that U2 album in your Apple iTunes library. You didn't quite want it. You weren't quite sure. Tory party seemingly not exactly over-enthusiastic with Liz Truss, are they? No, not in the slightest. Mm. Really interesting result. Uh, we're all aware of Joe Lysett, that BBC yes. comedian, uh, making some pretty disparaging remarks He's about He's not very Liz funny, Truss. is he, though? Is he? I, do you know, I didn't get the joke for about no. half an hour, and I suddenly realised actually he wasn't right with yeah. For those who didn't watch uh, the BBC on Sunday morning, because they were far too busy listening to talk TV or watching it, uh, he made a joke about Liz Truss being the last remnants of backwash left mm. the Tory MPs now that everyone else has tried the job. It? it was unpleasant, but there was an element of truth in it, mm. in that this is the fourth Tory Prime Minister in 12 years. Yeah. An extraordinary turnover of Prime Ministers, yeah. not least because, A, they're very ruthless, but, mm. B, they do have a quite clever way of reinventing themselves. Yes. When there is a problem, the Tory party like nothing more than to hang on to power, and they do that mm. by being incredibly ruthless. And that means going through a very long cast list of Prime Ministers until yeah. they can finally find someone that they can get themselves re-elected with, they'll do that. And who's to say, Mike... It hasn't ended yet. Well, do you know, it's funny because about a year and a half ago, I was calling for Boris Johnson to go, not because of party gate, because then it happened yet, but just because he wasn't very conservative and he hadn't done any of the things he said he was going to do. He was crazily following his net zero um, you know, mission. He was not stopping the migrants from arriving on the shores. And when people said, but there isn't anyone to take over from him, I think I actually said, well, Liz Truss looks all right. And I don't even know why, because she wasn't really doing anything. You got the tape. Uh, I can, can find it. it I'm sure I can find it. It's definitely there. Um, <laughs> But she was really the only person I could think of at the time. Rishi Sunak then kind of rose and fell. Yeah. But, you know, I wonder whether she might be quite good. She's a bit business-like, a bit boring, a bit un, um, sort of flamboyant. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, and listen, and that is very much an opinion, I think, is coming back into the ascendance. Not least because she's come into certainly the job and then this afternoon the office mm. completely written off and underrated. In a way, the bar is so low, Mike, she can only but surprise yeah. on, on the upside so she comes in with low estimations unlike Boris Johnson who came in with a very high estimation yeah. not just with the Tory party because of all those former Labour voters who mm. voted for him in, in the red wall seat so yes. uh, let's see what I think is the next 24 48 hours week 
is going to be absolutely crucial, possibly more than the start of any other premiership I can think of. Mm. She absolutely has to nail what she's about and, quite frankly, introduce herself to the British public. They might have some passing idea who she is. She might think she's foreign secretary still. But this is a moment to define herself and, crucially, she gets the current economic Mm. emergency. She get all that right and begin to heal some of the wounds in the Tory party, but she still needs to govern. Yeah. She still needs all those Tory MPs to vote through the legislation, her tax cuts, a lot of which don't agree with certainly at the moment, mm. then and we shall see. But the first, certainly 72 hours to a week, absolutely vital. For and them. if she saves people some money straight away and suddenly goes, right, we're capping uh, energy prices at this so that you won't have to pay these dividends amounts of money. Somebody's actually asked me an interesting question saying, what if you've already agreed to pay the extra to the energy companies and then she caps it or do you get it back? Nobody really knows the answer to all that. But I think people are, are looking for somebody to give them a solution because Boris Johnson hasn't done anything really for about six months, has he? No, not really, no. He's been on a few holidays. That, he much, has. We, uh, that much we do know. Yeah. Uh, he managed to give 54 million to the Ukrainians and what bre- much to us? Breaking up fights between... Uh, Dylan the dog <laughs> yes. and Larry the cat, we, as we would unsaid it. Yeah. I think that's right. I mean, look, who doesn't like massive amounts of free government money? Mm. It, it's a fairly, I was going to say, cheap trick. It's a fairly yeah. expensive yeah. trick to pull off if you're a brand new prime minister. We'll see that in droves. A couple of points to that, though. First is, how are you going to pay for all that? Mm. Because if you're putting it back onto people's bills over the next 10, 20 years, that could be fairly unpopular. So uh, not an easy one at all to mm. land, I think. Uh, the other point is, of course, she needs to go through and deliver on all that and come out the other end of it without having to come back to the British public to say, well, look, we tried this. It wasn't enough. We're going to have to do something else. Remember, Rishi Sunak has been at this yeah. when he was Chancellor trying to solve people's bill problems. How do they pay them since February? Right. He had to come back twice. We're now getting a, what is effectively a third stab at this. And you know, a lot of this is out of the government's control. This is the international price of gas controlled by Putin turning off the gas mm. taps. Very, very difficult problem for any government to deal with. Governments across the world dealing with it. But... If Liz Truss can't come up with the big bazooka, the problem to really end this uh, as a certainly a cash emergency for families before the next election, which is going to come up pretty fast now, April, May 2024, potentially, then I think she will have a problem. So that's why, Mike, I think whatever she does is going to be absolutely astronomically large. The problem Mm. won't be with the British public anymore. It might be more with the debt markets, how on earth she's going to finance all that at the same time. Is doing all those tax cuts. I guess the advantage she'll also have is she won't have Dominic Cummings tapping away in his basement, sort of, you know, trying to undermine everything that she does and sending stories out to people all around the country. But what about the civil service? Because that was a big problem for Boris, wasn't Mm. it? And, you know, the Home Office didn't want to do what he wanted to do, according to Pretty Patel anyway. Uh, The Foreign Office wasn't as good as it should have been. You know, there's a big problem in the civil service. Will they, and maybe even in the Treasury, Mm. will they sort of stymie what her plans might be? I think that's that's a really fascinating point. So Mm. uh, Liz Truss takes office, attacks what she and her supporters call Treasury Orthodoxy. Yeah. Quite hard to pin down precisely what that is. And if you speak to Philip Hammond, yeah. former Chancellor Strecker, he says, well, you define that by basic mathematics. Mm. You can't get the maths to life. You're going to spend, you've got to pay for it. No, says Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng, who's going to be a Chancellor, appointed probably just after lunch day. I expect he'll be the first one mm. through that metaphorical uh, black door. door there. Yeah. It'd be more like through the uh, airport telephone when she's up in <laughs> right. Balmoral. But they say, no, there is a lot of flexibility left. We can borrow this money. That's how we're going to pay for it all. And getting that new mentality through to the Treasury, almost a Keynesian, almost, dare I say it, Mike, mm. a, a fairly left-wing approach yeah. to borrow an awful lot of money to stimulate growth again. I mean, that is Keynes, after all. That is the great liberal centre-left economist of the 1930s mm. and the 1940s. So let's see how she rewrites that Treasury orthodoxy. With that, though, I don't think it's just a battle with the civil servants who are going to take uh, some 
persuading, I think, to enact what is a pretty different, different radical government policy. It's also the ability of her new cabinet to deliver. And if you talked to Tory MPs last night, I was down on the green with Kate McCann, chatting to a few of them last night. We'll be back there for the news desk uh, yes. tonight as well. They're worried about did the Did you mention the, avoid the thunderstorms? There was a pretty bad thunderstorm last night. Yeah, we night. did, by about half an hour, which oh, is good. pretty good. I, yeah. I, I don't know whether we're going to avoid it tonight. We've got a gazebo. Oh, good. Crucially to, Brilliant. To, to hide under. But Tory MPs are most worried about the level of competence. Mm. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Amongst these cabinet ministers that Liz Truss will appoint. It's going to be a really fascinating clear-up. I mean, James Cleverly, if he comes in, I mean, he's a pretty estimable character. He's done yeah. some pretty big jobs in, in, in various different administrations. So, I mean, you know, if, if it's people like that, you yeah. might think, well, maybe it's OK, isn't it? Actually, I don't think he has, to be brutally honest. No? He's, he's been party chairman in the cabinet. Yeah. I don't think, and I'll stand to be correct, he's done a cabinet job. He's never run a government department. Quasi mm. Quatang, a, a big figure. He's he's run Bayes, the Department of Business, for the last two or three years. He's mm. someone to be reckoned with. But if you look at that potential lineup, a lot of it has been leaked and we'll get it confirmed uh, this afternoon. Not many people have run big, big spending departments. Therese Coffey, mm. who is running the Department of Work and Pensions at the moment, could well run the health service if she gets health secretary and potentially deputy PM. She's certainly competent. But then you look further down the list... There's not many there, and that's because of the big clear-out. Dominic Raab, yeah. Michael Gove, Rishi Sunak as well, potentially. These sort of big beasts, if you like, of not just the Johnson regime, but, you know, the, the Theresa May and Cameron one yeah. before that, all gone. And you do slightly wonder, fine, they may not be the right political colouring to deliver trussonomics, but you do slightly wonder, you know, that level of experience, getting Whitehall to do what ministers want and what a recalcitrant Whitehall doesn't, that sort of experience, roundabout now, absolutely crucial. Yeah, and family-wise, she's a bit of an unknown figure. I read a piece at Standard yesterday, discovered all sorts of things I didn't know about mm. her husband, who once ran as a candidate for the Conservative Party, quite uh, quite a vocal sort of uh, campaigner for the Tories. Two teenage daughters, one of whom runs her Instagram account, which is full of pictures of them from the back only, and with cats and all of that. She's quite an unknown 
known character, isn't she, in terms of the general public? Yeah, very much so. In fact, the, the, the new first family mm. is something I think we might delve into a little bit on, on the news yeah. this night. She, she's an unknown person, as are the entirety of her family. I met her husband a few times uh, at drinks parties and like, perfectly nice guy, mm. very, very keen, quite interesting uh, political spouses, both men and women, actually. Some are very keen to be their own person and, yeah. and say, well, look, talk to me too. And of course, you know, you're always trying to be polite to everybody. Right. Others are very, very quick to, to, to say, you don't need to be talking to me. Right. Talk to my right. wife. Like Theresa May's husband like that, wasn't he? Yeah, Philip May, very yeah. quiet and unassuming. Uh, Mr. Truss, whose actual name I've completely forgotten because <laughs> because he's so shy and retiring. Yeah, exactly. You, know, you, will, you will make polite conversation with him at a drinks party, as I have done. He, he said, look, listen, mate, it's very sweet of you to talk to him, but it really is Liz you want to yeah. talk to. I don't mind if you drop me immediately yeah. and go and suck up to the cabinet minister, which, of course, I did, Mike, as a of course. deeply unprincipled and if, political uh, yeah, journalist. Quite right. And if you were um, to say who her biggest influence is, perhaps, because mm. everybody's got a bit of a mentor somewhere, haven't they? Who mm. would that be for her? Do you know? It's really interesting. I, I think you can draw a, a rough dotted line back to Margaret Thatcher. Mm. I mean, her, her politics are fascinating. You know, we've all charted her career from being a, a, well, a, on the C&D lines in Green and Common, albeit with her mother mm. from a very early years, don't she have much part in that. Right. Then as a Lib Dem in university, then as a Tory. There is a libertarianism that, that, that flows through her political veins. Beyond that, which I suppose you could trace back to sort of, you know, classic Tory liberals, Margaret Thatcher actually wasn't one of them, mm. interesting enough. She was never really a, a libertarian. Beyond that, it's very hard to, to pin anything down. And in fact, if you look at Liz Truss's career, she has been extraordinarily Machiavellian, a brilliant pragmatist, mm. changing size, swapping opinions, whether it's Brexit, Cameroons, May, Borisites, to where the political weather currently is. And, and therefore, it should be no surprise yeah. she's ended up at the top of the tree, mm. if you like, with that versatility. And I suppose, Mike, she then may well end up surprising again. You know, she's been elected by the Tory party as the libertarian and the tax cutter. Her first act in government is to do a massive state intervention and spend massive amounts of money the state, quite frankly, hasn't got. No bad thing, you might mm. say, in economic emergency. But I would not be at all surprised if she doesn't then go on to surprise us. And she turns out governing someone completely different all over again. Fascinating stuff. Well, it's going to be a fascinating day. You'll be back at seven o'clock with the news desk. Hugh O'Leary is the trust husband, apparently. Thank you. So who do you think you are, I suppose you might say. Um, but uh, Tom Newton done back with the team. And, uh, of course, uh, the news desk tonight at seven. Piers Morgan at eight. The talk at nine. It's all happening. Uh, there's loads to happen between now and then. Uh, this is the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. We'll see you after the news. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. God, it comes around quick, doesn't it? It's half past 11 already. We're halfway through the show. We haven't yet got confirmation, I don't think, even that uh, this trust has actually landed because there's apparently some kind of uh, uh, fly-around thing going on where the plane hasn't actually landed in Aberdeen. And we'll let you know as soon as it does, of course. And uh, I guess the environmentalists won't be very happy because not only have they taken two separate planes, but now one of them is flying round and round in circles waiting to land. Who knew? Anyway, um, there will be a new Prime Minister shortly. There will be a new Cabinet announced shortly. It's all going to go on this afternoon and probably into the evening. It will be one of those lots of pictures of people walking up Downing Street, knocking on the door, going in, coming out, all of that. You know, it's all quite good pantomime. It's all quite good. It takes our minds off all the other bad stuff that we don't want to talk about, such as the energy crisis, such as the lawlessness on the streets, such as what on earth is going on on the south coast of this country with more and more people arriving and not being sent back. But never mind all that, because Laura Dodsworth is here to talk some perfect sense to us and to 
take our minds off the terrible things that are going on. Hello. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. I, can normally, you? Come, I normally come with fistfuls of terrible things when I yes. walk into the studio. Yes, but normally when you leave, <laughs> we've sorted out quite a few of the problems that we've, uh, that we've been suffering from. So where are we going to start two, today? Two new cabinet appointments here, perhaps. Possibly so, yeah. The, uh, the Republic of Common Sense. I quite like the fact that we've got a new Prime Minister. I'm, I'm, quite in, I'm always energised by things, really. And I woke up this morning and I didn't realise that Boris was speaking at 7.30 and I literally just put it on and there he was. And, you know, it was typical Boris, bombast and kind of, you know, I haven't done anything wrong. I said to Julie Harley Brewer, it reminded me of the sort of thing that a husband would say as he was leaving his wife for the final time on the front doorstep, not admitting that they've done anything wrong at all and not understanding why it was that he was actually going. And when you go, well, it was because of this. Oh, really? Really? It was very bombastic. It yes. Was, it was very Boris. Mm. Um it's hard to reconcile that Boris with the Boris that announced on the 23rd of March that we must not leave our homes, the Boris that then um, had a, a two-year authoritarian tenure mm. you know, over our pandemic response yes. and has really got us into the mess we're in now. It's, it's hard to, to marry the two Borises up, And apparently up, against it? the wishes of many members of the Cabinet who didn't say anything to us at the time. Apparently. Yeah, no. all doing their own research Fascinating. and projecting in private. Who knew Grant Shapps was such a fine, upstanding member of the community? Uh, or indeed Rishi Sunak? Neither one of them resigned. Do you know, this just says so much though about group psychology mm. and people putting their own interests before the interests of the nation. Yeah. I mean, I found Rishi Sunak's um, confessional in The Spectator useful, but also quite hard to swallow. It's stuck in the crawl a little bit because he could have made such a difference at the time as, mm. the, as the Chancellor. Yeah to resign with a big fanfare, to speak out publicly, but people didn't. And there's a sense that they put their own reputations and the reputation of number 10 before the nation. And that's wrong. Um, I let's, think people let's, are... just, let's just hope for a lot better from the Trust Cabinet. I think that um, I think there's, there is certainly some reason to be hopeful that she's going to put good people in. And what we need are people with integrity, good moral compass and brains. Yeah, I'm not sure they've, they've got any of them, but we'll see how they get on, shall we? I think there's rumours uh, Kemi Badenoch will be in the cabinet yeah. um, and a trade position. That would be fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Let's see who else. I, mean, yeah. I, I supported her in the in the leadership race. Yes. So uh, I'd like to see her in the cabinet. OK, and lots of people would be pleased to see that, I'm sure. Yeah. But let's talk about Andrew Tate, because yeah, um, you raised this this morning and you wrote a piece about it. And it's a fascinating story, really, isn't it? Tell us about him, first of all, because some people sure. might not know who he is. I mean, I've, I've pitched this story to other publications and it wasn't accepted. What you'll find is if you look up Andrew Tate in any of the British media, you are going to find journalists in... Um, a race to decry him the most loudly as the worst misogynist in the world and to praise his ejection from social media. Now, at the time when Andrew Tate was taken off social media, he had 4.7 million mm. followers on Instagram and there were over 13 billion videos on TikTok. Tell us who he is, though, because Andrew I think Tate. a lot of people listening to this won't know him. Yeah, he's a former kickboxer, a kickboxing champion, I believe, world champion. He was on Big Brother. He got uh, kicked off Big Brother because there was a video that surfaced of him supposedly beating a woman up. Mm. Now, I've, I've watched a lot of his videos because he also became a social media star and I have teenage sons and there is a whole generation of young men who look up to Andrew Tate. Mm. We'll come in, we'll, we need to talk he's about, created about, a kind of cult, a, hasn't he? about why he's become a hero yeah. and why he's gathered so much power. But just more background into who he is. So there's this video which is very controversial where he appears to be beating a woman. Now, he and the woman both say it was consensual role play. 
I need to make very clear at the outset, I'm not his champion. First of all, he's big enough and ugly enough to fight his own battles. He doesn't need Laura Dodsworth. And I don't like his views on women hmm. one bit. But if he actually beat a woman up, that's a police matter. There are no criminal charges. There are no criminal convictions. Mm. What I'd say is that deplatforming him from social media hasn't made the world a safer place and it hasn't made the online world a safer place. You know, if you go onto Pornhub, which is one of the world's most trafficked websites, you only have to be on there for seconds to see women being slapped, beaten and called all manner of pejoratives mm. that I can't say on yeah. daytime TV. Right. So we've got this video by Andrew Tate. And that's allowed on social media as well as on the internet, right? Well, Pornhub has a Twitter account, obviously, that doesn't peddle that sort of content. You'd think from Pornhub's Twitter account, it's a pretty tame site. Mm. You go onto Pornhub, you know what the story is. It's not tame, mm. not in the least. And in fact, you know, pornography has done a lot to really escalate and magnify violence against women and <clears throat> very demeaning attitudes towards women. You also only have to listen to drill and rap music to hear some really unspeakable mm. things said about women. Yeah. There is there is a culture of violence against women. There's a culture of sexism. I would say that Andrew Tate didn't even touch the sides of a misogynistic cesspit. Mm. Now, he has said sexist things. He said things like women shouldn't drive cars. Yeah. I mean, what a twit. Yes. What a twit. Maybe you should move to Saudi Arabia. Although even there they've started to let them drive cars. But here's the thing. <laughs> is he not just simply a man who has taken advantage of his newfound popularity? He probably didn't set out to become the cult figure that he is. Um, but he's worked out that it's rather lucrative, rather like a lot of people on, on Instagram and, and, and Facebook have done, and he's making an awful lot of money from being this outrageous kind of misogynistic character who says the kind of things that you're not supposed to say. Yeah. And I think we've got a society, and particularly with young men, teenage boys, we've got a society which has been over-mollycoddled, mm -hmm. and they like the fact that here's somebody who's not the run-of-the-mill character that you can't say that on the BBC, that you can't talk like that in public, that actually he's saying something that they love. Absolutely. Now, for my article, I interviewed young men. I have teenage sons. I've been watching his videos for some time. I think you're really getting to the heart of it. Now, we like to think that heroes are always goodies. Heroes mm. aren't always goodies. Heroes embody qualities such as power, strength, mastery. Heroes can have a shadow side as well, which is arrogance and narcissism. Now, Andrew Tate has become a hero for a generation of young men. And I think that they enjoy precisely the qualities you're mentioning, that he's a success, mm. okay? Yeah. He is a success. Now, he brags about his Bugattis and his private right. flights. He venerates money. He talks about women in a demeaning way. But all of these things are hallmarks of, of emblems of a successful man, mm. one way or another. So he's broken into this mythology of success, which yeah. which appeals to them. Now he doesn't talk um, he doesn't talk in a sexist fashion about women that much. It's part of his part of what he does. Maybe it's persona. Maybe he believes. It, I don't know. What he really focuses on, what his content is really about, is about men overcoming depression, mm. for instance, men gaining mastery over themselves and their lives and being successful. And I think the thing that the authorities really don't like and it's one thing that young men have gravitated to is he talks about not being able to trust the government and mm. authorities he talks about us living in a kind of matrix you know he thinks climate crisis is made up he um, underplays the severity of the pandemic mm. um, he talks about globalists and hidden agendas in short he's a misinformation unit yes. worst nightmare so he does a thing that a lot of people who have been very successful on social media and on the internet have done He's kind of weaponized the sort of thing that we talk about, the sort of way that we have emerged as a successful operation, you know, from nothing, mm. because we suddenly started questioning the narrative. We started asking uh, whether the BBC's line on everything was right, whether everything coming out of Downing Street was actually believable. But it's quite an interesting juxtaposition. And we're about to stop for a second. So I'm going to wait for you to answer when we come back. But it's all about 
uh, for me nuance, right? So Andrew Tate does things that I don't do. He makes a lot more money than I do because he appeals to people um, who I suppose are looking for something like that because they have lost faith in the establishment. They have lost faith in what they're being told by what they would regard as mainstream media. A bit like Russell Brand. You know, Russell Brand has become this very popular figure. But a lot of the stuff he comes out with is just rubbish, right? Mm. But people buy it. But let's hold that thought. Let's come back to it. We're talking about Andrew Tate. Laura Dosworth is here. Um, we'll hear from you as well if you know about If you've got teenage sons, you'll know who this guy is because everyone's uh, got a teenage son who's watching it. 0344 499 1000. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Laura Dodsworth is here. Slightly later than normal, but we wanted to make sure you had enough time to espouse all of the ideas. We're talking about Andrew Tate. Darling, there's never enough time to espouse I know all that. my ideas. I, I know. a mere half an hour. You know you know, I need longer to espouse all of my ideas. I know, but I you, we do, do, pre- we do pretty do. well. We do, we do, make do well. yes. We do. But let's talk some more about Andrew Tate. You interviewed some teenage boys yes. about him, but, and your but, own boys yeah. watch some of it, right? So... Sorry, let, let me finish. We bookmarked, and and it will segue into the teenage boys I interviewed. Okay, yes. so you said, you know, basically what he does, like he's like the sledgehammer version to our filigree silver nutcracker, yeah. right? Right. I don't know. Let's something That'll like do. that. That's a terrible analogy. That's okay. We'll go with that. Okay, so he takes quite a blunt approach to things like you can't trust the government. Mm. This crisis is overblown. It's all about control. Break through the matrix. Be successful. Overcome depression. It's all really good stuff, actually. Mm. He's not appealing to a tiny audience. You've got to bear in mind he had 4.7 million followers on Instagram. I don't know a teenage boy who doesn't follow um, Andrew Tate. Mm. So my own son's been showing me videos for ages. Now, any parent knows that a high-profile cancellation isn't going to fix a culture of misogyny overnight. Forget it. It's an ongoing process of conversation, exploratory conversation, gentle conversation, questions. So he's actually said a lot of things that my sons have found inspiring and I consider to be positive. Mm. He also says things that I consider to be less positive. I think his brother might run a webcam business. So that's led into a big conversation Mm. about prostitution, about webcam work, about politics, about power. It's been useful. But do you worry that that his influence influence on your children for example would include the fact that he that they might then take up his views of of women because there's no doubt that he is very disparaging and dismissive of women right mm-hmm. and you know obviously as parents it's our job to make sure that doesn't sit with their points of view but it can do okay a couple of things first of all people really underestimate kids all the time i go to schools i do school talks i think this generation are incredibly media savvy media literate they're intelligent yeah. we shouldn't underestimate them my sons think that some of what he says is a comic persona some of what he says is outrageous but they're not stupid mm. kids aren't stupid they take the good with the bad like i said to you just because he's not on um, instagram anymore that doesn't mean that every teenage boy in the country can't go onto Pornhub and see women being slapped mm. and uh, slapped and called the worst names under the sun and treated like crap. But maybe that's not the bit they're taking from it. Maybe they're taking that as part of the package. They take and, it as part of the package. And they'll find him wherever yeah. he is. I mean, is he findable now? Of is course, he on... he's on Rumble. And when he right. moved to Rumble, Rumble's daily traffic went up nearly 50%. Right. The thing is, what it will do is constrain his reach. So whereas before he could reach millions mm. of people through mainstream social media, his reach will likely be in the tens and the hundreds of thousands. Mm. The thing is, you so can will take he make less off, money then? Probably, ultimately, but he's already extremely wealthy. Yeah. The thing is, you can take him off social media. You have not made the world a safer place. What you've done is, in, in effect, radicalise a generation mm. of young men. They were not radicalised by his message. I tell you what they're radicalised by. They are incredibly cynical about why he's been removed from social media. I interviewed several teenage boys about this. What they think is that 
Andrew Tate was too powerful. Mm. And they recognise that governments have people removed from the internet they don't like. And they are not wrong because we know there are misinformation yeah. units. Nadine Dorries even said in the House of Commons that the government rings up the tech platforms and asks them to take content down. They know that this mm. is how this happens. So what you have is a generation of young men who know that there's been a blow against free speech. They're, Andrew Tate's messages don't trust the government. All this will do is reinforce that. That hunger they have for a hero won't go anywhere. They still need heroes. Mm. This disenfranchised generation of young men hasn't learned anything possible, uh, anything positive about his deplatforming. What he needed was sunlight. Mm. What he needed was debate. He needed his worst ideas challenged. He didn't need to be martyred. But and if you look problem, at his new it? videos, he says he's been martyred. But so the hundreds of thousands, about half a million mm. people who go and watch that video, hear him saying he's been martyred. And all of the things that he argues for, um, however, in the, in the way of the modern uh, sort of media that we now have, debate isn't really a thing, is it? You know, Russell Brand makes videos. It's basically Russell Brand talking to a camera in the same way that I presume Andrew yeah. Tate does that. They're not really interested in debate. They're interested in influencing people. So with debate, you don't do that because with debate, you make people think. Uh, what he's doing is making people just believe what he tells them somehow. Maybe. I didn't speak to anyone who seems to fall under his kind of incel manosphere mm. sway. That's not the impression I got, although there might be people that happens to. But what I'm saying is there's plenty of other content out there that does that. Yeah. You know, you can go onto almost any social media platform and you can find a supposedly progressive video telling a gender non-conforming young girl it's okay to cut her breasts off. Mm. That apparently is not misogynistic. It is mind-boggling. Yeah. You can go on any social media platform. You can, go you can look up J.K. Rowling and you will find exhortations to burn, mutilate, kill and humiliate women, standing up for women. Mm. There is plenty of misogyny on the internet. In fact, I'd say the internet is awash with misogyny. Yeah. Like I said, I don't think he touched the sides. The fact is he was powerful, he had an anti-government message and young men take that away from his deplatforming. Mm. Yeah, because the thing is, by deplatforming people, as you've said before, it doesn't change anything. I mean, Donald Trump lost his Twitter account. Um, he's probably more popular in America now than he ever was. The people, because the people who mm. like him will continue to like him. You're not going to stop people liking someone just because they're not on Twitter, are you? Absolutely. And I think what's really disappointing, actually, is that we've seen journalists race to describe him as a, as a misogynist and really demean demean the young men who looked up to him you know they described them as as lonely or frustrated or basking in their white privilege they're talking about millions of young men yeah in this country who might be all of those things and they just they just don't get it they don't get why he looked why they looked up to him yeah and there's a kind of a really snobbish elite dismissal of mm. young men yeah. that I find really repugnant. Yeah, particularly, we have to ask why they need heroes and where the heroes are. Where well, are the men? Where are the heroes? Yeah, because I think we've lived now with maybe two generations, and these are people younger than me and on both counts, um, of people who are not like the men that they grew up with or not like mm. their fathers, you know. So we've sort of morphed into, and I think it's a particularly you know, city-driven thing where people have got nice middle-class jobs and nice mm. middle-class lives and they're nice to everybody and they're not in my father's words, very heroic figures, right? He always used to say to me, men are heroes. That's what they do. And that's what their instincts should be, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, you should always be running into a, a burning building to save a woman from a fire. That's mm -hmm. what men are for. And that's what he said to me, right? And I don't disagree with that. But yeah. I think a lot of men now don't know what their role is in society. They don't know where they should be standing. They don't know whether they should get up and give a seat to a woman on the tube or hold a door open for her. They don't know what to do. Well, there's a hell of a lot of confusion about what a man even is. Mm. There's a headline today about Eddie Azard standing as MP oh, in yes. Sheffield. She's pure class. She? 
Now, we're on our third Conservative PM. Yeah. Congratulations, Conservatives. They always have a very diverse, uh, you know, representation mm. in, in the Cabinet now. And, and Labour's got a male who we're all supposed to Who doesn't call know what a woman is? She. Now... <laughs> Well, you got, ha, we also got ha, the leader. How do, how do I do this? I've had enough flat this week for writing about Andrew Tate. <laughs> look, we look at Eddie Izzard. Eddie Izzard is a male. And there is something so uncomfortable for me in this compelled speech. We're compelled to use mm. female pronouns. Now, pro pronouns are automatic language. We don't tend to think about the pronouns we're using. They're just automatic. Yeah. If you were Catholic and we were having a chat about transubstantiation, I could tell you that I don't believe the consecrated host is actually the blood and the body of Christ. Uh -huh. And you wouldn't go, wow, you anti-Catholic bigot. Well, I might do. Well, you might. You wouldn't, I was darling. an altar we'd, boy. We'd accept that we've got different beliefs, okay? Right. But in the case of transgender people, it's not... Pronouns aren't just a courtesy anymore. Mm. They're compelled. Oh, of course. And compulsion is accompanied with menace and submission. We're expected to submit to something that, you know, that we look at and we don't necessarily believe is true. So I think, you know, this confusion about what a man and a woman is, what our roles mm. are, who the heroes are, who the heroines are, we're deeply confused yeah. as a country. I was once handed a document. A, globally. Yeah, globally yeah. we're confused. Oh yeah, I was once handed a document by somebody, um, in, not in this situation but in another situation, where they were like, these are words that you shouldn't say. I was like, I beg your pardon? I don't think so. Just get through it away. You know, people want you to speak in a particular way. They want you to think in a particular way. They want you to believe in certain things um, and uh, and assure everybody else that you are one of those people that believes all that. I'm not. I'm not buying it. Sorry, that's it's not... a very dangerous path. Mm. Now, in Ireland, there's a teacher called Enoch Burke who's currently in prison. Now, oh yes, I saw this, this yeah, story. Now, the story started. This is all about compelled speech. He refused to use preferred pronouns for a pupil, mm. okay? Now, he's religious, and so, you know, in this country, maybe his religious exemption would apply. I mean, it should do under the law. I'm not sure what would happen. But he was suspended for this. Right. So this is uh, a teacher who's always done a good job, has religious beliefs, mm. who I don't believe was in any way otherwise disrespectful to the pupils suspended. Now, what he did was continue to go to the school. So he was arrested, and he's in prison now for that. Unbelievable. But this is where compelled speech takes you. Mm. The world's gone. Yeah. Insane. Because once you start telling people to do something and then they don't do it, what are you going to do to make them do it? You're going to put them in prison? Mm. I mean, are we living in China? Are we living in, you know, gulag-supported former USSR where you got put in prison for thinking something? Mm. It's amazing. Well, you know, this is one thing that young men really liked about Andrew Tate. He didn't have confusion about gender. Yeah. He was quite strong on things like pronouns. They felt like they could be men. Yeah. So one of the boys I interviewed called Frank, I mean, what an intelligent young man. You know, he talked about the fact that woke people are passive aggressive and you have to do what they say. You have to get your head mm -hmm. down at school. You have to just go along with what they tell yeah. you about gender. And he said that Andrew Tate made some joke about how his pronouns were King Lord. And he liked that. You know, it makes him laugh. It makes him feel like someone's yeah. in his corner. Mm -hmm. I think there's a whole generation of men who feel really beleaguered and browbeaten yes. by the woke karate influencers behind this kind of deplatforming. Yeah. And that generation aren't suddenly put in their corner and told what's what by this deplatforming. I don't know if they're angry, but they're resigned. But, but they're going to fight careful back. careful because anger comes out yeah. of it. They'll look for another hero. Who will the hero be? Yeah. And who knows who that hero will be. It's not going to be Owen Jones. Uh, it certainly won't be Owen Jones. No. And um, it could well be that they then form a completely new generation of people with a very different attitude. So the wokeists will actually be defeated.
then they won't ever ever be able to reclaim whatever it was they thought they had so that would be the end of that interesting stuff fascinating as ever laura dodsworth will be back of course next week check out um our twitter account and hers and we'll put out that piece about andrew tate if you haven't read it you should it's a fascinating thing and if you have got teenage boys you should ask them about andrew tate because they probably know more about him than you do uh 0344 is the number uh, more from laura dodsworth next week more from us Coming next, this is Talk TV. On DAB Plus, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Let's try and put things in perspective, shall we? Uh, there's a bit of a grey sky down here. Boris Johnson has been to Balmoral uh, and has been in the door, had a chat with the Queen, resigned and has now left Balmoral. And he's presumably on his way back down to London uh, where he's going to set up a new home uh, with Carrie and presumably Dylan the dog uh, and a few other sundry bits of wallpaper. We shall see. Uh, meanwhile, Liz uh, Truss has apparently landed uh, at Aberdeen Airport. Finally, she's on her way to Balmoral. She'll be going in to see the Queen and will soon be anointed as the new Prime Minister of this great land of ours and then she will come back uh, and attempt to put her cabinet together. She may even possibly start appointing members of her cabinet before she gets back to London. We shall see. Uh, we're expecting Kwasi Kwarteng to become the new Chancellor of the Exchequer. It is a new beginning. It is a new era. The Conservative Party has once again turned its way through uh, another Prime Minister and has decided basically to appoint the third woman Prime Minister in this country. Uh, we hear from the Labour Party that they still haven't worked out what a woman is, but that's another matter. Not really their day today it's the day uh, for the Tory party to try and spread the love and try to make it easier for people because let's not forget the cost of living crisis is still with us lawless Britain is still with us migrants are still arriving uh, on the south coast illegally and coming into this country costing millions and millions of pounds every single day a man uh, who has kept his eye on all of that over the last few weeks and months and probably longer uh, is Richard Tice reform party leader talk tv host of course as well delighted to say uh, he joins us right now Richard a very good afternoon to you Good afternoon, Mike. What an extraordinary day. Just, uh, you know, one prime minister leaving, quoting sort of, um, uh, you know, sort of Greek gods that yeah. we've never heard of. I mean, just <laughs> extraordinary, his speech this morning at 7.30. Yes, I think that actually, it sort of showed how out of touch he is. I mean, 99.99% of the population have never heard of uh, you know these, these sort of gods. I didn't and, know that uh, Cincinnati had been named after a Greek god, to be honest. Well, the whole thing's just, I mean, you know, it just shows uh, the man he is. But look, we must look forward. We must wish Liz Truss well, because the country is in a terrible, terrible state, as uh, as we all know. There's a really important thing there, Mike, about this, which is I think we've got sort of seven different crises going on. Mm. We've got an energy crisis. We've got a growth crisis. We've got a healthcare crisis. We've got an immigration crisis. We've got an inflation crisis. We've got a taxation crisis. And last but not least, we've got a law and order crisis. All of those, almost without exception, are totally self-inflicted by 12 years of conservative government. I mean, it is literally uh, a a sign of their incompetence and negligence that they've led us to this state. Mm. And uh, on behalf of the country, I, I, I hope that the new prime minister appoints a really strong team and they try and get to grips with some of these crises that uh, their predecessors have have led us to. Yeah, I mean, does it give you any hope that at least they've recognised that they needed to change the leadership and they did need to actually do something? Because you and I have been talking about this for most of this year, actually, since about February, we've been urging them to do something about the energy problem. We knew that it was coming. 
forget about the war in Ukraine. It was already on the rise in terms of our uh, homegrown energy because we didn't have any and the petrol prices were going up. Petrol prices are actually going down now. I had a, uh, a note from somebody in Cardiff uh, uh, over in Wales where they saw petrol down around about 156 a litre. You know, so there is a possibility that they could get on top of all of this if they could only give people reassurance on the on the home energy front that they're not going to be forced out of their homes, they're not going to be forced to pay ludicrous amounts of money. They could get this all back, couldn't they? Look, it's all sortable. It's all doable. I've put forward an economic recovery plan. I've put forward an emergency energy plan. I know my energy plan is being looked at very carefully and some of the principles of that may form part of what they announce later this week uh, because I think it's absolutely essential. The key, though, is that they're not just tempted into thinking that this is a a six-month price crisis. This is a multi-year price crisis. It's a multi-year supply crisis. And their plans must recognise that. You know, if, you, if you think that sort of 100 billion quid and then it's all going to go back to normal, uh, then I'm afraid uh, you're sadly wrong and, and very naive because there's no reason for Putin to turn back the gas taps back on. Right. That is the bottom line on which everybody should base every single judgment going forwards. And with less gas coming from Russia, where's the gas going to come from? What's the price of it? You know, if there's less of something, the price of it goes up. That is a basic mm. economic fact. And for me, that's the, uh, the the simple sort of planning and assumption that Liz Truss and her team need to adopt. And what worries me, a lot of the suggestions coming out of the Tories and the Labour Party, Mike, is they think you can just sort of borrow 100 billion and the problem will go mm. away. Well, hang on. What are you doing with that money? You're taking it from us, the taxpayer, right? through borrowings and you're giving it to the energy producers yeah right so just think about that whereas under my plan you can go back to the average 2021 price and say no actually you're doing fine we're in a global energy war now Mike. that is the bottom line and this energy war may go on for many years mm. and we need to plan on that basis and you know if we get to next summer and it's exactly the same prices are very high Everyone will be saying, well, we've got to borrow another 100 billion yeah. and then another 100 billion. Mm. No, 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 we don't need to do that. We need to say the energy producers, you did quite nicely, thank you very much, uh, in 2021. That's the price you'll receive and you'll sell your energy to British customers uh, and British businesses at that price for the foreseeable future. Mm. That's what Churchill would have done yeah. in the Second World War. You control the pricing of critical elements of the nation's production. And that's what should happen yes. now. It's uncomfortable for free marketeers and entrepreneurs like me and like you. But when you're in a warlike situation, Mike, you've got to adopt yeah. a warlike mentality. And in other words, a proper cap as opposed to the off-gem cap, which isn't a cap at all, uh, which in fact is just a license for these guys to print money. And I'm with you. You don't make this situation better by simply giving free money to people to pay the exorbitant price that they're already paying. You bring the price down. It's common sense. Correct. But also... They need to surely uh, commit to more oil and gas exploration in the North Sea, and they must commit to fracking, because otherwise they'll, they'll, they'll just perpetuate the situation. Uh, you're completely right, and that's certainly what they're going to announce. Liz Truss has talked about it. But we shouldn't forget, there's a case in the Supreme Court imminently, uh, which is trying to challenge under what's called a judicial review, uh, a previous planning consent for some onshore oil exploration 
here in England. So, mm. you know, these environmental lobbyists, they're incredibly well funded. Very often their lawyers act on what's called a no win, no fee basis. So this is going to be a brutal, brutal battle that Liz Truss and her government have to have to be prepared to fight. But they've got to make it very clear to uh, these these eco fanatic and extremists that actually we the people, uh, we want to use our own energy treasure and uh, that, you know, they're not going to allow themselves to be bullied uh, by these, as I say, these um, these legal teams and these uh, these eco fanatics. Absolutely right, because the whole inflationary spiral is based on on the energy price, isn't it? Because everything that we see going up is going up as a result of energy going up, as a result of fuel prices going up. And Liz Truss, I think, it's going to be um, in a hurry. She says to sort this out. So, what are you looking for for her to do, sort of, in the next twenty four hours? Uh, in the next uh, 24 hours, obviously, she'll appoint her cabinet. I think she needs to make it clear that the energy statement will be made literally in the next 48 hours, whether it's by her or by, by her new chancellor, which is going to be quasi Kwarteng. And it needs to be comprehensive and it needs to be enduring, not just for six months, but enduring, as I've just said. And it also has to uh, protect businesses. I'm speaking to lots of businesses in some of my industrial buildings up and down the country. They are literally terrified. Mm. They've no idea. People that were paying 14 pence a kilowatt hour last year are now being quoted 80 or 90 or 100 percent for their uh, 100 pence per kilowatt hour for their electricity. And this is unsustainable. So businesses will just give up the ghost. Mm. And and so they've got to come up with a clear plan. uh, But it's one that people know is going to to last as long as this crisis endures, because otherwise, if you want businesses to keep investing and for for entrepreneurs to keep sort of borrowing from their savings account, their life savings, they've got to see that there's an end to it. They've got to see that this crisis, you know, is, is going to be over at some point and they're going to be protected on the way through. Otherwise, why would you keep throwing good money after bad? Well, exactly. And you can't rely on the European Union at this point. I was reading this morning in the Telegraph, you probably saw that JP Morgan are considering relocating back to London, the offices they moved to Frankfurt, the, because they're the, worried about the blackout in Germany. The, the irony... The irony, you know, during the whole Brexit referendum, we were told, oh, all the city are going to disappear to Europe. No, they're not. They're coming back from Europe because they can't even keep the lights on. So incompetent, so negligent, Mm. so naive have their politicians been. Just utterly, utterly extraordinary. Tragic. You know, I don't wish ill on anybody, Mike, but it's it's a sign of the grotesque negligence uh, that politicians in this country and officials and across Europe uh, have exhibited for many, many years. And I'm afraid it's really coming back to bite us all in the backside in a very, yeah. very painful way. So, uh, look, Truss has got to get on top of the energy situation immediately. Uh, and then, of course, she's got to start, uh, you know, making it clear that, that taxes are going to be cut because you've got to create some growth. And then uh, the immigration crisis is going from from horrific to utterly horrific. 2,000 uh, arrivals over the weekend. Uh, you know, we must assume that 50% of those are probably from Albania. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, my fear, as I've said before, is that many of those are foot soldiers for the criminal gangs. Uh, we you know, as touched on taxation and then law and order. I mean, every day you're seeing videos of complete mm. lawless mob-like behavior up and down the country and a police force that it seems utterly powerless to do anything about it. Yeah. And just on the energy front, do you really think that we will see the first proper 
leader in this country for a long time who will just turn their back on this green agenda, the net zero nonsense, and say, look, this is not only not affordable at the moment, but actually the whole thing is pointless. I'm not sure she's going to go that far. She, 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 won't, go, she won't go that far because there's too many in her party that she's got to keep it on side who are completely and utterly uh, wedded naively to Westminster's obsession with net zero. But mm. she, I think she will make it clear that we've got to increase our energy supply. But look, this is going to be a battle royal. This battle will be as big or worse than Brexit, Mike. Uh, uh, yeah, I can tell you from the scars on my back alone and the abuse I've had in the last three weeks, it's worse. The vitriol is yeah. worse than Brexit. Wow. And and this will uh, this will continue. But look, we love battling. It's what um, it's what we do to make this great country great again. Mm. Absolutely right. Well, listen, I can't wait. I'm up for it because uh, it's very easy to prove how nonsensical it is just by asking them to prove why they want to do it because nobody can tell you. Nobody knows why <laughs> they want to do it and they won't tell you whether anything's going to change if they do it. So there we are. Richard, I look forward to seeing you towards the end of the week. Richard Tice, Reform Party leader, Talk TV host, of course, uh, with his Sunday show at 10am as well. Don't miss that. Uh, lots more to do here and lots more of you to talk to. 0344-499-1000. George Orr says this, Mike, trust being more businesslike than flamboyant. You could compare her to an early Merkel. The lefties rejoice in the German, yet are already kicking trust. Well, interesting that, isn't it? I'm not sure you want somebody to be like Angela Merkel. She pretty much ruined Western Europe uh, for the rest of us. Thanks very much, Angela. Uh, this is Talk TV. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. <laughs> 